Hello and welcome to History with Jackson. In today's episode, we are going to carry on with the English and British monarch series and follow on from Lady Jane Grey by looking at Queen Mary I. So without further ado, let's learn all about Mary. Mary was born on the 18th of February 1516 to King Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. And Mary was born at Greenwich. She was known to be a beautiful woman with reddish hair and she was known to be great at languages and skilled at playing a variety of instruments. So what was Mary's early life like? Now Mary was the only surviving child of Catherine and Henry and Henry and Catherine's issues with children is well documented. Now as Henry's only living heir Mary was given an education befitting of that status. She was given a solid education in languages and instruments, but also she was given a typical education of a woman at points, being taught how to sew and fix clothes and so on. Now, as the heir to the English throne, Mary was given a series of duties that befitted that status. Mary presided over the Council of Wales and the Welsh marches at a very young age, but this was only in name only. She was also given a court in the Welsh marches. These are typically duties that were given to the Prince of Wales at this point. However, Mary was never invested as the Princess of Wales. As the heir to the English throne, Mary was also used as a political tool by Henry as he attempted to forge alliances with the various powers across Europe. He attempted to marry Mary into the royal families from the Holy Roman Emperor and Spain and France. However, none of these came to fruition. Catherine and Henry had a very well-documented divorce, and we touched on that in our Henry VIII episode. Now, with the divorce of Catherine and Henry, Henry married Anne Boleyn. And in the process, he made Mary illegitimate and removed her from the line of succession. He also dissolved her court and moved the Princess Mary into the household of the young Princess Elizabeth. He also banned Catherine of Aragon and Mary from seeing each other. However, very shortly afterwards, Anne Boleyn was executed for treason and Henry married Jane Seymour. Jane encouraged Henry to reconcile with Mary. And they did, with Mary accepting Henry's demands that not only she acknowledge him as King of England, but also acknowledge him as the head of the English court. Despite Henry and Mary reconciling, Mary remained illegitimate. And there were several rebellions that sought to convince Henry to legitimise Mary. One of these was the pilgrimage of grace that we touched on in our Henry VIII video. But Mary remained illegitimate. But she did take on some royal duties, such as filling in 
the queen consorts when Henry had no wife. Henry clearly trusted Mary to take on these royal duties. When Henry married Catherine Parr, Catherine Parr went one step further and convinced Henry to legitimise not only Mary, but also Elizabeth. And the two were put back into the line of succession with the Act of Secession that was passed in the later years of Henry's life. In 1547, Henry passed away and his eldest... In 1457, Henry passed away and his son, Edward, took the throne. Edward and Mary frequently clashed over religion as Edward was a very strong and devout Protestant whilst Mary was a very strong and devout Catholic. Edward frequently demanded that Mary convert to Protestantism, but Mary refused and even publicly, openly practiced her Catholicism. Because of Mary's strong views, Edward removed her from the line of succession and named Lady Jane Grey as his heir. Upon the ascension of Lady Jane Grey, Mary fled to East Anglia. East Anglia was where Mary's Catholic supporter base was, and she immediately raised a force to march to London. Lady Jane Grey's forces under her family deteriorated, and Mary walked into London. Mary immediately arrested Lady Jane Grey and her family and supporters for treason, and later they were all executed upon that same charge. Mary immediately had to fill her council full of Catholic supporters and after achieving that and consolidating her power, she was coronated on the 1st of October 1553. Now 37, Mary realised that she needed a male heir and more importantly a Catholic male heir to ensure that England stayed Catholic and that she had a smooth succession to a son. To have a Catholic heir, Mary knew that she needed to marry a Catholic man. And she arranged for a marriage to Prince Philip of Spain, the son of Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. This marriage would bring a considerable level of support from the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburg family and Spain, and would help build Catholic connections with Europe. Mary's decision to marry Philip was an unpopular decision, and Thomas Wyatt started a rebellion that attempted to depose Mary and place her sister Elizabeth on the throne instead. Mary's forces defeated Wyatt, and he was arrested and executed for treason. And later, in 1554, Mary went ahead with the marriage at Winchester. Philip was granted the title of King of England. He had some level of authority over government affairs, but everything he did had to come with the consent of Mary. She was the more powerful individual out of this royal couple. Mary also took on the royal titles that Philip had, as his father had granted him the kingdom of Naples and the, and the title of king of Jerusalem as part of this marriage. Very shortly 
after the pair's marriage in July 1554, Mary believed that she was pregnant. However, this was a false pregnancy. This same year, the papal legate returned to England and absolved England of its sins of heresy. Mary was attempting to return England back to the Catholic fold, and she was successful, and the Pope was reinstated. As part of the return to Catholicism, new heresy laws were imposed in England, and many leading Protestants were persecuted under these laws. One notable figure was Thomas Cramner, who was burnt at the stake for his Protestant views. In 1556, Philip left England to return to Spain to take the throne after the death of his father. He would return once more the following year to convince Mary to declare war on France, to help his own war with France in Spain. This war would go disastrously for England, as England would lose its last continental possession of Calais that it had held for over 200 years. After Philip's last visit to England, Mary believed that she was pregnant yet again. Although many believe this was a false pregnancy, and some believe that she had an ovarian cyst or cancer, it left her very weak and ill. And in 1558, Mary I passed away, leaving the throne to her young Protestant sister, Princess Elizabeth. Now, was Mary I a good queen? Now, I believe Mary always attempted to do what she believed was right for England. She immediately set about trying to pay off the debts of England to help England financially and she tried to reform the taxation and spending systems. She also attempted to be fair. Now one of those, one of those uh, examples of her attempting to be fair was that she didn't immediately execute Lady Jane Grey. Instead she gave her the benefit of the doubt and only executed her when she became a threat later on. Mary also attempted to help England religiously and she firmly believed that Catholicism was the right thing for her people. And when the papal legate came over, the English people were absolved of their sins of heresy. That was attempting to save her, her people religiously. She firmly believed that being Protestant was a sin. So whilst I believe Mary didn't always do the right thing, she didn't always help England, you know, the marriage to Philip II and being engaged with that war of France is a clear demonstration that not everything was best for England, but she tried her best for England. So on that point, I believe that she was an okay queen. And remember, she had a short reign. She couldn't do a lot in five years. So I believe Mary was an okay queen who did her best for England. Thank you very much for watching today's episode on Mary I. If you would like to learn more about Mary First, I'm thoroughly going to recommend these two books. I'm going to recommend Gwyn's Kings and Queens and Simon Sharma's A History of Britain. I think these are great books. They have a lot of detail, uh, some salient points about Mary I's reign. 
In the meantime, if you'd like to keep up to date with everything History of Jackson related, head to the social media links in the description below, or you can head to www.historywithjackson.co.uk where you can find everything to do with History of Jackson. You can find the podcast, the videos, and the blog. So I hope you have a great day. I hope you enjoy this episode on Mary the First, and I'll see you next time for our episode on Elizabeth the First.